Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings all, and welcome to another edition of Monday Musings. Thank you for the feedback so far on the podcast. We just passed a thousand plays from across the world. I'm excited, I'm honored, and I'm humbled. But Mondays are designed to be kept light, at least in our journey together, and hopefully we'll continue that trend. Keep us in prayer this week as we head into some orthodontic experiences that uh, may sideline us for a couple of days, but hopefully we may have some other folks fill in or we'll try to record enough information that will keep the flow seamless and uh, that will be at some point at the end of the week. I love funny poetry. I always have. I love poetry in general. Most of you have heard me speak, have heard me do renditions of different things from patriotic to religious to contextual to social. But funny poetry that has context to it that actually generates some kind of thought process over a period of time is really one of those things that uh, makes you think. And last week we talked about noses, and I think some of you commented that you enjoyed that. Troubadours were people who were in the Middle Ages. They were the knights of shining armor, and their poetry, in fact, some were of the feudal class. Troubadours made chivalry a high art, writing poems and singing about chivalrous love, creating the mystique of refined damsels, I guess in distress, and glorifying the gallant knight on his charger. Troubadour was a fitting name for such creative artists. They say it's derived from the old Ossetan word meaning to compose. In modern context, Troubadour still refers to the songmeisters of the Middle Ages, but it has been extended to cover contemporary poet musicians as well. One of the favorites that uh, I have always enjoyed doing a rendition of, and I first heard it when Ravi Zacharias quoted it, was the, the poem called Gaily the Troubadour, which was written in a book by Arthur Gwitterman, or written as a book by Arthur Gwitterman, and I think the date is circa 1931. This was also around the time when uh, the British anthropologist Unwin's uh, seminal work, Sex and the Culture, was on the horizon. So when you read those two components or those two contexts together, you will begin to look at history in a very different way. Now, this is the 30s, and here we are in 2020. So we are 90 years away, which means in a short decade, we'll be a century away from when these things arrived on the horizon. So just take a listen and see if there's any relevance to where you are today. So Gailey the Troubadour, Arthur Gorderman, circa 1931. First dentistry was painless, then bicycles were chainless, then carriages were horseless, and many laws enforceless. Soon cookery was fireless, telegraphy was wireless, coffee caffeineless, and cigars nicotineless. Then oranges were seedless, the putting green was weedless, the college boy hatless, the proper diet fatless. Now our motorways are dustless, our new steel is rustless, our tennis courts are sodless, and our new religions godless. 
We have arrived at that time, haven't we, where our new religions are godless and almost every one of those things that were predicted. And in fact, ironically, I started this podcast talking about dentistry and I'm going in with a great expectation that it is indeed painless. Gwitterman also wrote a poem on the vanity of earthly greatness because everything that is will fleetingly pass. All fashion uh, has a gestation period, all fervor seems to have some kind of limit, all failure has to have some kind of futility to it. But here's what Gwitterman wrote on the vanity of earthly greatness. The tusk which clashed in mightly brawls of mastodons or billiard balls, the sword of Charlemagne the just as ferric oxide known as rust, the grizzly bear whose potent hug was feared by all is now a rug. Great Caesar's bust is on the shelf and I don't see, I don't feel so well myself. So the three things, as always, we try to create and articulate some kind of semblance to whether it is comedic or whether it is uh, consultative or whether it is comprehensible. We try to create some idea that will give you an action plan for the day, some thoughts to ponder on, some ideas to generate a new kind of thinking. I'm enjoying the interaction I'm having with you through this medium, and I think some of you have suggested that I start increasing my video-based uh, persona as well, and uh, as time permits, we'll try to make sure those come together as well. Before I get into uh, some of the points, I want to bring a point of housekeeping. The new book, Missives, Mottos, and Maxims, uh, has gone up on the digital platform. I think we loaded it onto Kindle yesterday, so in the next day or so, it should be available, and it's available worldwide. Uh, it's on the U.S. platform, uh, and I know we also generated it uh, for the Indian platform as well. So that's called Missives, Mottos, and Maxims. It's about a 49-page uh, book that just talks about different ideas I've had and quotes I have generated and thoughts that I have penned on, I, on uh, categories like faith and friendship. If you're a speaker, an aspiring speaker, and want to, or a communicator who wants to beef up your arsenal in some way, um, kindly engage with us and uh, download that book, and I think you'll have some some information that we have taken about 30 years to amass. But let's go back to the musings of this funny poetry of uh, Gwitterman and the troubadour. First, we need to realize that all change is stressful. And this is when there is universal fear. Yesterday in a sermon or in a message, I used the words that I heard, I think, uh, from Joe Vitale of RZIM, when she used ubiquity in branding. And I thought of my, and I added something to that. Ubiquity in branding is not unity in belief. Uh, when you look at pain, when you look at change, when you look at stress, there is universal fear. Right now, this pandemic has caused universal fear across the globe, but some people are suffering more than others. Some still have sustenance, some still have ability, some still have substance. But change is stressful and it seems universal. But what is universal is not the change for everybody, but it is the fact that everybody is fearing it in some new, unique, and different ways. Some changes, see, all change is stressful, but some change is symbolic. This is where there is a following. 
So when you look at Gwitterman's poem and he talks about the fact that our new diets are rustless and I mean our new diets are fatless and the college boy is hatless and all of that other stuff, part of it is symbolic. Part of it is uh, trying to buck tradition for the sake of bucking tradition. Sometimes even we see well-meaning commentators like me who try to get a rise out of people by pushing the envelope or pushing the button. What is the reason? The reason is to, Greek, to create a following through some kind of symbolism. The meanings are just or the meanings may be evil. The meanings may be justified or the meanings may not. But the bottom line is some change is symbolic. And when there is a following created out of it, that change actually takes a manifested route of its own. If we go back to the poem, and I'd encourage you to pull it up, it's called Gaily the Troubadour by Arthur Gwitterman. And again, the reason I repeat stuff is I'm an old-fashioned trainer, and I think that method has worked for me. But when you look at it, oranges are now seedless, putting greens are weedless, college boys are hatless, uh, cigars are nicotineless, uh, coffee is caffeineless. Uh, and to think that he wrote a lot of this in the 30s, 1930s. And many of the people who, who listen to this information cannot even comprehend a time when none of those things existed. I know some of those things didn't exist in my own time, but a majority of my following, the people who uh, listen to me, the people who try to understand what I'm saying, probably came a generation after me, and I'm venturing most of them are past 70s. But the thing I find the most fascinating is, as a person of faith, is the fact that our new religions are godless. Man is now worshipping himself, worshipping his ability to create law, worshipping his own ability to justly pass the law, worshipping his own ability to uphold the law, and indirectly man is becoming the law. In fact, Ravi Zacharias has pointed out uh, during his life many, many times that no law was ever passed to take care of the people. Every law was passed to either erase or protect, or preserve, or modify a previous law. Man's desperate ability or desire to constantly meddle with that which is legal has upended the concept of creating a humanity that actually looks through the lens of progress with morality. Morality is now something that nobody wants to talk about because each person creates their own morals and as a result a change or a charter that is requested or required to alter the morale, morality of people or the moral standing of people is purely symbolic. Uh, the old thing still goes that some people uh, do something within their societies that may be considered heinous and barbaric to people in other parts of the world. Some traditions are noble and you still carry them on. I've written about this exhaustively and I've spoken about this exhaustively. But the bottom line is some change is symbolic. We started with the premise that all change is stressful. Anytime change occurs, people's natural reaction, uh, if you look at Managing Change at Work, a book that was uh, written some years ago by Cynthia Scott and Dennis Jaffe, they just produce the four quadrants and they say whenever change is announced, the first section is always denial and it's anchored to past. Uh, it's always, you know, personal. Here we go again. It's affecting me and I'm upset. Level two is resistance. I don't like it, but I'm going to go along with it because I have no choice. Level three is uh, some kind of exploration. I'm going to participate and I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm going to keep my head down. 
again, George Orwell wrote about this. Part of Orwellian totalitarianism is that. A lot of people in the exploration stage saying, hey, you know what? I just want to live and let live. I don't want to challenge the status quo. I'm going to go with the flow. So most change is stressful. Level four is commitment. When commitment is other people focused and it's future oriented. So these changes are the changes that uh, even though the change was stressful for a Nelson Mandela 27 years after imprisonment, he successfully eliminates apartheid in South Africa. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. goes through great upheaval in the United States and the civil rights uh, becomes part of his legacy. Mahatma Gandhi as an architect of a revolution comes to India. Freedom is the result of that. The 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence in the United States are the are the reason this country was formed that many years ago. So change begins with that stress. You go through those levels. Some change is symbolic, which means we really don't care about the outcome. We want to rise right now from what is happening. But the specific change we are looking for is strategic. This is when there is faith. And I go back to the poem by Gwitterman. When he ends that poem with the chilling words, our new religions are godless. That's when I begin to wonder whether what we are seeing out on the streets in the terms of the madness and the mayhem comes from the fact that our intrinsic faith, that which we believe, that gives us a moral law, that gives us a moral code, is actually being listened to, or is the symbolism of that which we have created so damning and uh, so uh, demanding that it has taken us to new levels, that now there is no looking back. In fact, uh, I leave the names out of it, but one man who was at the very height of the movement in a nation and befriended another man who was of a different worldview is purported to have written to him saying that what you are offering at the heart level is the most endearing thing I've ever heard. But at this stage of my life and at this stage of my journey, if I accepted anything of what you're saying, it would go against everything I have been known for and everything I have known. In short, it would be a betrayal to my people. So sometimes when we ask ourselves some very basic questions, we need to look inside and ask ourselves. I understand that all change is stressful and there is marginal fear. Some change is symbolic and there is a great following. But the specific change I want to make in my life has to be strategic, and that has to be something that is birthed out of faith. When I'm listening to my inner conscience and asking myself as a created human being that is mental, physical, and spiritual, am I willing to do what it takes? Am I willing to be unpopular for the sake of my belief? That's faith. So ask yourself, if the change you're feeling is stressful, because there is fear all around? Is the change you're reacting or responding to symbolic? Because you're either looking for a following or are part of a following. Or you're willing to look in the mirror and say, you know what, at this time, at this moment, I'm going to make specific changes in my life that are strategic, and I'm going to lean on the faith of my fathers. I'm going to lean on the morality of the moment, and I'm not going to let morality be erased just because of legality. Until next time, keep changing. This has been Monday Musings. Have fun, and we'll see you on the other side. That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. 
Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.